Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome to Christ City. Uh, my name is Lisa Rodriguez-Watson. I'm the Associate Pastor of Discipleship and Equipping here at Christ City. Thanks so much for joining us. If you are joining us on YouTube, we're so thrilled um, that you are connecting with us in this way. Even if you can't be with us here in the room this morning, we're glad that you're out there. Um, we know that you're there. And so welcome. Uh, thanks for joining us. Last week, we began a new series called, How Do I Know? Um, throughout this series, we're talking about how to discern God's will for our lives. Last week, Matthew kicked us off with this really fantastic message about discerning God's leading in times of change. If you haven't heard it, I recommend it to you. It was a really great sermon. Lots of humor, great stories, of course, because that's my guy. Um, but he, ra he laid a really solid foundation for us, um, especially for what we're exploring today and in the coming weeks. When it comes to discernment, I think it's pretty normal for us to feel like um, maybe trying to understand God's will is like a riddle that we have to solve, or it's like some kind of a code that we have to try and decipher. And if we just find the key, then we'll be able to unlock the mystery that is God's will for our lives. But what if it's not like that? What if God's direction for our lives is far simpler and freer than we imagine? As we move through the series and explore the topic of discernment, we'll consider the possibility that discerning God's direction for our lives is more liberating and loving than we can imagine. We hope to gain a deeper wisdom into the wide open lives that the Spirit has for us. So today's message is, how do I know? That's the sermon series title. But specifically, how do I know? Is it, is it God's voice or is that someone else's? For those of us who follow Jesus and want to do God's will, which is a very Christian way of saying that we want to live in the ways of God um, and we want to be who God wants us to be, sometimes we wonder if the voice usually not an audible voice, but like a, um, a leaning or a sense of something. Is that voice God's voice or is that someone else's voice? Maybe it's mine. We have to discern this. And what, is, what does the word discern even mean? I know Matthew gave us a definition last week, but I came across this one and I thought it was really helpful from author Gordon Smith who wrote the book, Listening to God in Times of Choice. This is his definition. To discern is to make a distinction between the voice of Jesus and those competing voices that invariably speak into our hearts and minds. It's the heart of what we're talking about today. How do we make a distinction between the voice of Jesus and the other voices that speak in our lives? Because the truth is, we, we face so many crossroads in our lives, and we have to ask important questions, like, what career path should I take? And in those moments, I think it's really normal for us to wonder, oh God, is that your voice? Or maybe is that the voice of my parents? Because I'm still trying to live up to who I think my parents have wanted me to be. 
Should I go to college? What should my major be? Is the, is the answer to that more Jesus' voice or your mom and dad? Is the leading that you're sensing, is that your parents, your friends, maybe God? Where should I live? Are my influences the scripture and the spirit or maybe my American values? We're, we're just months away from a presidential campaign launch. Maybe the question is, how should I vote? Is that my family's voice in my heart and mind? Maybe my friends who's in my community? Maybe Jesus? Or maybe my favorite cable news source? How do I know? Is that God's voice or someone else's? In order to work our way through this question, uh, we're going to take a look at three Ps this morning. First is going to be the problems when discerning God's voice, because there are some problems that we have to navigate. And then second is going to be the promises in discerning God's voice. And then finally, the posture for discerning God's voice. So, I'm going to dive right into the deep end, go to the problems first. I kind of like that, tackle the hard things, get it out of the way. Um, and by no means am I going to offer like an exhaustive list here. We, we, you wouldn't want that. We don't have time. But I think it's helpful to recognize and name some of the problems that we can encounter. And the first, I think, is maybe that we don't know or can't recognize God's voice. The story of Samuel offers a great example for this. The passage says, The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark was. Then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli, and he said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I didn't call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. And now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the, Lord of, the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Samuel hears the voice of God, but doesn't immediately know that that is God's voice. Instead, he thinks it's Eli's voice. He knows, he knows Eli. Eli's there. That's, that's the question we're asking today. God, is that your voice, or is that the voice of someone else that I know? I appreciate the parenthetical statement in the passage that Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. How could he have recognized God's voice if he didn't know it? If he didn't know God, I'll be honest, 
after like many years of walking with God, sometimes even I have a hard time discerning God's voice from the other voices. And I don't want to make too much of it here with Eli, but Eli, who'd been hearing the voice of God for so, so long, didn't even recognize when God was calling Samuel. Now, maybe that's because it was the middle of the night and my guy kept getting woke up. He kept getting woken up three times. He had to wake up. And after the third time, Eli was like, oh, this is God calling Samuel. Even when we've walked with God, sometimes it's hard to recognize God's voice. The problem of um, not knowing God's voice is especially challenging, I think, for those who are new to the Christian faith or maybe those who are coming back to church after having been away for a long time because the truth is it takes time and practice to understand God's voice. We have to practice listening. We have to be around people who know God and know how to discern God's voice. And that takes time. I wish it were easier. <laughs> I, wish, um, I, wish it was like, I wish it was like this. The other day I was, we were out, I was out shopping with some friends. We were in a store and I heard a song over the intercom and I was like, I think I recognize that voice. And so I, I asked my friend David, I was like, hey, do you know who this is? And he's like, oh, easy. Pulls out the phone, puts it up, and points it to the speaker, and then boom, just like that, the song is discerned, the artist is discerned, you get the title, you get the artist, like that, nothing, no problem. Wouldn't it be great if there was a Shazam or a sound hound <laughs> for God's voice? It would, except that then all we get are direction and rules and don't do this and go this way and don't go that way. And you know that, to be honest, I don't know that I would make the trade there to know all that God would want for me in exchange because what God invites us to instead is a relationship where we experience God's love and goodness and mercy towards us. So even if there was an app, I'd probably say, no, I'll take God just instead. I'd rather have his love and his presence and his goodness. So sometimes we can't recognize God's voice, and that can feel like a problem when we're discerning. Another problem that we face is that we can't trust our hearts. Some of you are 100% agreeing with me, and others of you are like, hey, wait a minute. I get that. Hang with me. In some Christian circles, much of the theology around our hearts and whether or not we can trust our hearts comes from one primary verse in the book of Jeremiah. That verse reads, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. The way I learned it was and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Some of us grew up under the kind of theology that teaches us not to trust our hearts because they are deceitful. Is that true? Are our hearts deceitful? They can be. Yes, that's true. But it's not the only truth. 
I was at a, a book event last week, and the author of the book, who grew up in the same Christian tradition that I grew up in, shared a sentiment that's akin to this, that we can't trust our hearts. After years of faithful leadership in the denomination, he became the victim of psychological warfare waged against him by other powerful leaders in the denomination for refusing to endorse Donald Trump. He shared briefly about it in the room as he does in his book. Um, during the Q&A, one of the attendees asked him what he had learned through the course of all of this hardship and his eventual leaving of the denomination. And his response was, I learned that I couldn't usually trust my heart, but I could trust my gut. This is so common for those of us who've been in the church for a long time. We're, we're taught, we're formed to think that maybe we can't trust our hearts. We gotta be skeptical of them because they can be deceptive. And, and I wanna say that that is true. It's true, uh, but it's not the only biblical truth. So we have to navigate that tension because there is a paradox there. Like all paradoxes in the Bible, we have to hold those things in tension with one another. So I'll come back around to that's not the only truth here in just a minute. One last problem when discerning God's voice is that there is a deceiver, an enemy of our souls. Um, other, the, Bible, the Bible has other names for the deceiver, for Satan. Uh, those names are accuser, thief, adversary, and the father of lies. When Jesus is sharing the parable of the shepherd and the sheep in John chapter 10, he says the thief, the enemy, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. When we're discerning and navigating the question is, is that God's voice or is that someone else's voice? It's right for us to keep in mind that one of the voices we may be hearing is the voice of our accuser and the father of lies. So how do we navigate this problem? Well, when we're not sure if what we're hearing is true or if it's a lie, then I think that we have to ask some questions. Is that the voice of the Holy Spirit or is that the voice of another kind of spirit? Is what I'm hearing accusatory? Because if it accuses me, then that is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's the voice of the accuser. What I'm hearing, do I feel condemned by that? If so, that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit because we know from Romans 8 that because of Christ, there is now no more condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the Spirit convicts to be sure, but there is a difference between conviction and condemnation. So when the voices that we're listening to condemn us, we know that is the voice of the enemy of our souls. That is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. There is a difference between conviction and condemnation. 
in order to distinguish the voice of the deceiver from the voice of God. It helps us to know God's nature and to ask questions based on our knowledge of who God is. So yeah, there's a deceiver. That's a problem that we can encounter when trying to know, is it God's voice or is that the voice of someone else? So three problems. We can't or don't recognize God's voice. We can't trust our hearts. And there's a deceiver who wants to mislead us. The good news is there aren't just problems. <laughs> we also have promises when discerning God's voice. We can keep these promises in mind as we do this work. To counter the first problem of not knowing or not recognizing God's voice, we can remember the promise that God pursues us. In, in the Samuel story, before Samuel even knew God, God called out to Samuel. God started the relationship. He started the conversation. He pursued Samuel. That's good news for us because in the midst of our decision-making and discerning, we can trust that God is not trying to play some kind of cosmic game of hide-and-seek. Instead, God is the one pursuing and initiating. We have a part to play as we discern but God speaks and pursues, so it's not entirely up to us. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he breaks it down like this. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. We're to work out our salvation Another way of saying that is we're to live out our salvation. We're to live out our faith. And he uses some strong language here. With fear and trembling, that kind of makes me a little nervous because those are scary words to me. I don't want to be afraid. But that's not what these two words mean in that context. It's not the like wringing our hands in anxiousness or cowering in a corner waiting to see if God's going to strike us if we make the wrong decision as we're discerning. It's not that. It's actually having an understanding and an awareness that our decisions are consequential. That when we discern, we're doing holy and sacred work. It means something. So we're to take it seriously. We're to do it with, with fear and trembling, with a, with a good, healthy dose of, yeah, this matters. Matthew did such a solid job of repeatedly reminding us last week that what's on the other side of discernment is God and God's love, not condemnation, God waiting to say, ha, gotcha. It's God and God's love, and it's from that place that we can live out our faith with the knowledge that our choices matter, they're holy and sacred, and we are deeply, deeply loved. So we work out our salvation, that's, that's our part. Here's the other good news uh, promise. It says, for it is God who works in you. As we are working things out, God is working things in. 
He is giving us his desire. He's letting us know his will so that we can participate in all the good that God is working in the world. As we are working things out, God is working things in to will and to act according to his good purpose. Fun story. Uh, Matthew told a bunch of stories last week about um, life after we had been married. Uh, this story is, is a story of life before we got married, of when we were dating. Um, we were at a real crossroad in our relationships. I was in my final semester of seminary, and he had another year of school left. I had committed to serving two years in Tanzania, which is in East Africa, shortly after my graduation. My calling to serve God overseas, super clear. Matthew's calling, not so clear. He didn't really have any issues with being abroad, but there was no definitive place or people that he felt called to. And I imagined whoever I was going to spend my life with would have the same calling as me, particularly because I knew what I wanted. And I wasn't going to be that girl who didn't do what I thought I was called to in my life because of a boy. So we were discerning what to do. Should I move forward with my commitment to Tanzania and leave behind a relationship that was so good and right and beautiful and fun? Or might God want to do something different, like obviously call Matthew to be a missionary to East Africa, just like me, clearly. <laughs> I had the perfect solution. I was able to set God up to be able to do what surely God wanted, to call Matthew to living overseas, specifically East Africa. My language acquisitions class required me to attend a worship service of the language that I was studying, which was Swahili, uh, the dominant language in Kenya and Tanzania. So I had found an East African um, congregation there in, you know, not too far from where our seminary was. And um, I invited Matthew to go with me, certain that this would be how God would make Matthew's calling clear. <laughs> the service was in the evening, so that morning we scheduled breakfast with a good friend of ours from seminary. Um, and we were at the Dipsy Cafe with its beautiful, like, country blue and white checkered tablecloths, enjoying a phenomenal cup of coffee and the best pancakes you can find in Marin. And we were sharing our story with her and inviting her to counsel us in this matter of what should we do. Her name was Beth. And we told her our story, and we were trusting that God was working in us as we were working out this sacred and holy decision. After hearing us, she responded in her so sweet, so southern South Carolina accent, I think God is going to do a new thing, she said. Lisa, I think it's not going to be what you've always imagined. Matthew, I think it's not going to be what you've always thought it was going to be. I think God is going to do a new thing. And it'll be right for both of you together. 
it seemed like informed and reasonable counsel to me, but I had my perfect plan cooked up for God later that night at the East African Church. So Matthew and I arrived there at the church and were immediately greeted warmly by all the people. We worshiped and we sang songs for quite some time in both English and Swahili. And then the pastor comes to the front and welcomed us as guests and started into what he would be preaching that evening. A passage, he said, that would be familiar to many of us from the book of Isaiah. Our passage this evening is Isaiah 43, and I'm going to be talking about God doing a new thing. Turn to your neighbor and say, God is doing a new thing. <laughs> Astounded, I looked at Matthew and we said to each other, God is doing a new thing. God spoke clearly to us in our situation. He had been pursuing us. He took the initiative to work in us as we were discerning. And boy, we really still had a lot of working out to do with fear and trembling, but we trusted that that word from God was clear. And eventually, I didn't go to Tanzania. And eventually, we got married and have lived this adventure of God's new thing together. When we face the problem of not knowing God's voice, we can trust the promise that God pursues, that he takes the initiative to work in us as we work out our faith. So the second problem of not trusting our hearts has a corresponding promise too. While there's the verse from the prophet Jeremiah that cautions us that our hearts are deceitful and that we ought to be careful when trusting them, there is another verse from another prophet. That's the prophet Ezekiel. And the verse says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. God gives us a new heart. We have to hold in tension these two truths about our hearts Again, like I said, because the other paradoxes in the Bible would require the same thing of us. Both things are true. When we choose to follow the ways of Jesus, God puts a new spirit in us. The heart of stone that, that may be prone to keeping God at a distance and hardened against him gets exchanged for a heart of flesh that is tender towards God. You know, that's, that's, that's a beautiful and prophetic Old Testament verse. But in 2 Corinthians, God doesn't just say, I'm going to give you a new heart. He says, I'm making all things new. 2 Corinthians says, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So we get a heart that's being renewed daily over and over and we can begin to trust God with that new heart. Mm. 
the message version of that Ezekiel passage is, is, really, uh, is really helpful, um, so I'll read it to you. It says, I'll remove the stone heart from your body and replace it with a heart that's God-willed, not self-willed. That's good, isn't it? I'll put my spirit in you and make it possible for you to do what I tell you. The promise of a new heart and a spirit that makes it possible for us to do what God tells us to do is good news when we're trying to discern God's voice. We have a God-willed heart and not just a self-willed heart. So for the final problem of there being a deceiver, an enemy who is actively undermining God's goodness in our lives, there is the promise that we have been given the spirit of truth. We have been given the spirit of truth. When Jesus is in his last few days on earth, he has a big conversation with his disciples. He's giving them the big download um, like any of us would do if we knew we only had a few days left. All the most important things. He's got his disciples gathered around and he's saying, hey guys, this is what I want you to know. In John 16, it's where you'll find the story and it's a bit sad and heavy actually. And he knows it's kind of a lot. So uh, in verse 12 he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But here comes the good news. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. With Jesus being gone from the earth and, a, and an enemy that's seeking to mislead us, Jesus gives us a spirit of truth that indwells us. The Spirit is guiding us towards the ways of God. The Spirit of truth helps us stand against the unholy spirits that would want to deceive and distort the good things that God has planned for us. The Spirit is always working in you. That is how God does his work in us as we are working out our faith. The Spirit is stirring inside us. We were just singing a song about the Spirit before I came up here to preach. Spirit stirs inside us, making us aware of things, using our thoughts and the words of others and the words of scripture to guide us towards God and God's ways. Do we have a problem of a deceiver? Absolutely we do, but we have a promise that we have a spirit of truth to help us walk in the ways of God. So we've got the problems when discerning. We've got the promises for discerning. And the last thing I want to touch briefly on before I wrap up is what is a posture for discernment? The first one is that you prioritize scripture. The Bible is the place where God tells his story. It tells us what God is like. As we're trying to discern is that my earthly father's voice or my heavenly father's voice. We gotta know our heavenly father by spending time in his story. If God's voice always sounds like your voice, maybe we wanna interrogate that a little bit. Maybe we wanna get to know God more so that we can distinguish our voice from God's voice. What are some of the characteristics of God? 
God is good, Psalm 34. God is love, 1 John 4, 16. God is a refuge and ever-present help in times of trouble, Psalm 46. God is with us, John 1. God is compassionate and faithful, Lamentations 3. God is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in love, Exodus 34. God is righteous and just, Psalm 89, 14. God takes great delight in us, Psalm 18. When we prioritize scripture, we know what God is like, and we can discern God's voice from the voices of others. What the Bible won't do is give us a roadmap for specific choices that we're making. This was a hard one for me to learn as I was maturing in Christ, to be honest. It's not going to tell you where to go to college or whether to work for this law firm or that law firm. You won't find a Bible verse that lets you know whether to stay with your boyfriend or break up with him. But in the Bible, you will encounter the God who says, I'm with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I have plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. On the other side of whatever you're discerning is God's goodness and God's love. That's what you discover when your posture is one of prioritizing scripture. Finally, in order to discern, we need a posture of presence. Take Samuel, for example. When he heard his name being called, he said, here I am. He made his presence known to the one who was calling. I find that in my, my prayer practice, um, this has been a really helpful phrase for me, especially when I'm practicing a silent prayer, um, a centering prayer. Um, in the midst of my trying to be present to God, it is so easy for me to get distracted with all the thoughts that just come to the surface when I'm really specifically trying to still myself and listen to whatever it is that God might have to say to me in a day. The phrase that I come back to is, here I am. Oh yeah, I'm not there planning, working on something, that some work task that came to my mind. I'll remind, I'll remind myself and I'll say to God, here I am. I'm here in your presence, God. What might it look like to pray this kind of prayer this week? As you pay attention to what God is working in you so that you can work out your faith, can you be present with God and take Samuel's posture of, here I am. This is a way to say, I want what you want. I'm here to listen. I'm here to be attuned to you and your ways. I'm here to know you more, even if I don't get an answer for whatever it is that I'm asking. Being with you and knowing you is more important than getting an answer from you. Here, here I am. 
can that be one of your postures and prayers this week? I would invite you to expect God to speak and practice a posture of presence with God. And whatever you're discerning, whatever you're working out with fear and trembling, keep in mind that God is always working in through the spirit of truth to bring you to a place of experiencing in greater measure his goodness and his loving kindness. Let's pray.